1: There are many ways to characterize our era. The most promising is the age of the brain. Today, we know more about how the brain works than ever before, and we're moving faster than ever before to extend and apply that knowledge. What a moment ago was science fiction is now science. Unlocking the brain's potential could transform our world. Achieving what from today's perspective would be superhuman cognition could open whole new worlds of medicine, science, technology, and even humanity. Unfortunately, it seems to be one of those obscure laws of physics that every upside has a downside. Every potentially wonderful application of new technology has the possibility of horrible abuse. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. My guests are Dr. Rafael Yuste, neuroscientist, whose lab is at Columbia University, and who is on the forefront of Developing the new understanding of the brain. And Jared Genser, who's a leading international human rights lawyer. I'm proud to say that both Rafa and Jared are past winners of the Telberg SNF Eliason Global Leadership Prize. Welcome, Rafa and Jared. Welcome. Thank you very much. Rafa, today we're going to focus on the work the two of you are doing together to build a global framework within which the wonders of the brain can be developed for the benefit of mankind and hopefully cauterize some of the downside i mentioned however before we do that can you give us 30 seconds on the science um it may not be a surprise to the audience that the
2: brain happens to be the organ that generates the human mind all of our cognitive and mental abilities are generated by the firing of hundreds of billions of neurons that we have in our brains so neurotechnology Uh, enables to record that activity and to change that activity. And by changing neural activity and decoding it, in principle, we can decode the minds and change the minds. And that opens up uh, a new set of ethical and societal challenges.
1: Let me make this practical. I understand that Facebook has been working on a project That would allow people to think and produce words on a screen at something like 100 words per minute actually when you told me that i immediately assumed that what is one way could be a two-way highway into my brain maybe all facebook wants to do is send is sell me a toaster but is could they conceivably persuade me that i can't possibly go to bed tonight without having bought a new one
2: Um, okay so there's two types of neurotechnology there's neurotechnology to decode to read and your technology to activate or to write and uh, the neurotechnology to read to decipher mental activity is way ahead of the neurotechnology to interfere with mental abilities no so um i think facebook as far as i know they're all interested in the decoding part because they want to generate this product as a way to type mentally by thinking. But in order for them to make us change our mind, then you have to actually activate neuronal circuits with a lot of precision. And this is something that we can start to do in animals today, laboratory animals, but with still far, I would say, at least a decade from
1: being able to do this um, well in uh, human beings but a decade passes quickly sometimes, theoretically it's possible.
2: It will be possible because we can do this in animals today, in mice, and what we can do in a
1: mouse today, we uh, should be able to do in a human tomorrow. I suddenly have the image in my mind of Mighty Mouse from my childhood, but anyhow. Jared, you're a human rights lawyer, uh, very successful human rights lawyer, who has a long record of rescuing people and helping them cope with all sorts of nasty issues. What do you see in Rafa's work that appeals to the lawyer and the advocate in you? Well, look, I
3: think it, on the one hand, um, what, what Rafa is talking about is incredibly exciting uh, for both the development of the human mind um, and for the advances that we can see coming from this kind of technology. Uh, especially as it relates to uh, to health um, and to um, you know convenience uh, and kind of advancement of, of humankind uh, more broadly, um, but at the same time, uh, as a human rights lawyer, I'm always uh, worried when I see new technologies because of the ways in which governments and uh, private actors can you know instrumentalize uh, these kinds of um, technologies for uh, nefarious purposes. And, you know, undoubtedly we're already seeing, uh, even before the decade that Rafa is talking about having elapsed, um, you know, the, the downside of these technologies are already being put to use. Um, so for example, in China, uh, there are, uh, already several schools that have been piloting, uh, a brain computer interface that children are wearing that are telling the teacher up front at the room on a screen that they see, you know which children are concentrating based on their brain waves and which ones are not. Uh, and similar technology has been deployed already uh, in uh, several Chinese factories uh, to monitor the efficiency of workers. Uh, and uh, And you know this is already um, long before uh, we've gotten to effective technology that could potentially write to the human brain.
1: Let me ask you to define from a not from a technical viewpoint, but perhaps a legal or, or even human viewpoint, Um, what are we talking about in terms of rights?
3: I think there are a basic set of rights that uh, Rafa had actually already um, begun developing before I I got involved in in partnering with him, um, which I think are are a good thumbnail sketch of uh, the kinds of things that we should be concerned about. Uh, And so, you know, some of the proposed neural rights include things like the right to identity and the ability to control your own physical and mental integrity, the right to agency um, which is really uh, freedom of thought and freedom to choose your own actions, the right to mental privacy, which is the ability to keep your thoughts protected against disclosure, um, the right to fair access to mental augmentation, um, which is really the ability to benefit from improvements that, that may happen uh, coming from this kind of technology, uh, and uh, the right to be free from algorithmic bias uh, or to ensure that technologies don't insert prejudices into the uh, into decisions that are being made that affect uh, one's life, um, you know. I think that uh, you know more tangibly, one can can see that the international human rights system today, uh, in certain areas, will already provide, within the current framework uh, of international human rights uh, treaties and law, uh, some protections against uh, some of the nefarious purposes to which these technologies could be put. Um, but there are clearly also large gaps in coverage that need to be uh, proactively addressed.
1: I wanna come back to that in a second, but first, Rafa, you're a scientist. Most scientists are quite happy stopping at their laboratory door and leaving the practicality and the implications of their work to others, like, like Jared. What is it in this set of issues that you're dealing with that has driven you to take the issues beyond the lab uh, into advocacy and into trying to promote a discussion about these issues of of neural rights and and even neural identity?
2: Um, Well, uh, I'm a neurobiologist, but I got into neuroscience uh, from medicine, and also um, because of my interest in philosophy, in in understanding the human mind. So I cannot help uh, but uh, understand that uh, whatever we do to uh, figure out how the brain works is going to reveal how the mind works and uh, this science is neutral and you can use this knowledge for good and for bad so uh, I think it's uh, probably because of my medical background that uh, I feel very strong strongly that we should make sure that this great knowledge and this great technology that has so much potential and benefit for humanity uh, should be used for the right reasons to really advance our society and not uh, have any nefarious effects so I think it's in the in the in the bones of every doctor is the hippocratic oath uh the 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 the, the oath uh, the pledge for beneficence to help uh, people and uh, to do this also uh with the principle of justice. And treating uh, patients with dignity. So I think I'm just applying the uh, the same old-fashioned uh, Hippocratic oath that I uh, that I uh, sworn in in during my medical training.
1: Let's play it forward. Uh, in a perfect world, what would you like to see happen?
2: Um, I think my dream would be for the UN to update. The universal declaration of human rights which hasn't been touched since its proclamation in 1948 uh, and put it up to date to the 21st century incorporating a uh, protection for all these challenges that jared has been talking about which uh, are uh, real this is not science fiction this is something that we're going to have to deal with if not uh, very soon uh it's definitely coming our way it will be unavoidable so uh, I would love for the U.N. to take charge uh, and uh, with the updated uh, uh, human rights declaration um, then you could imagine this could be an instrument for a convention or committees of, uh, of different countries that would regulate at an international level, at a global level, the development and deployment of neurotechnology. And this uh, a model for this is what happened with the Atomic Energy Commission, for example. So this was also UN driven, and it led to a uh, to an organization which has overseen the development and, and use of atomic energy uh, since the nineteen fifties, uh, and I would say pretty effectively.
1: Let me take you on that because it was exactly that is exactly how I think about it in, in the atomic or nuclear weapon comparison. And in fact, there, we had a dramatically different experience. We had two bombs used in 1945. Uh, we then had a brutal cold war race to develop weapons among two and then three, four and five different nations. Um, we had an ongoing process. Thank God it was never used, but we built bilateral relations. We only eventually built multilateral relations around framework around this. Uh, the Atomic Energy Commission, long after both the technology had been used on human beings uh, and we had gone through this long competition between the Soviets and the Americans and then with the Chinese and then the Europeans, um, we would all hope to avoid another Nagasaki in this space. I can think of, and I'm looking for another example where mankind got together and said, oops, This is technology we really need uh, before it is fully developed to manage. Can you think of one?
2: Yeah, of course. Uh, The uh, chemical weapons, they were developed in the First uh, World War, and they were also deployed with horrific consequences in the battleground, and that led to such an outcry of public opinion that since then, uh, it's been very effectively regulated, I mean, with the except, except in Syria and a number of other places. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm, I'm not saying that humanity is, is perfect, but overall, uh, um, I think it, we should be proud that uh, uh, chemical weapons, biological weapons, atomic uh, uh, weapons have been, uh, are being uh, regulated and overseen by an international commissions. Um, and uh, there's there's always an, an exception here and there, but the, the important thing is uh, in this case of neurotechnology, like with all these other uh, formidable uh, um, technologies that can lead to weapons, uh, it it what's critical uh, is to get the main players involved. So neurotechnology is not being developed by small countries in the third world; they're developed by uh, industrialized nation particularly the us and and europe and to some extent japan and china so uh, i think as as long as we have a consensus between the the main players it's uh i, I I'm, I'm an optimist I, I think this uh we've learned we should be learning from our mistakes of the things we did wrong with atomic energy for example as you were pointing out it was not a, a rosy path but uh but we should be uh uh, i think this experience is also like covid has humbled uh, our 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 societies in a way in which it's it's increasingly clear that we need to cooperate uh, across different countries in a multilateral uh, fashion and the climate is another example and i think it's it's, it's a positive example that how humanity is slowly getting interact together with with the climate so um so so the yeah the, the our proposal is maybe with a un driven effort Uh, If the main players that are developing new technology would be involved, then uh, we could have some guidelines that could be then uh, used uh, to ensure that this technology uh, gets developed and and deployed for the benefit of humanity.
1: I'm afraid I'm in the school that man learns about fire by getting burned. Hopefully I'm wrong on this. Jared, you work all the time within the framework of the United Nations, and you're actively at the moment working part of your time with the Organization of American States. The UN has a history, it has a reality. How do you think it's possible to move the United Nations, and in particular its key players, as Rafa pointed out, uh, in, in a positive direction to try to get our collective arms around these issues before we experience the horrors of trench warfare or the horrors of Nagasaki?
3: Yeah, well, uh, that is the question, isn't it? Um, And I think the reality is that we are already a decade behind at the UN because the international community is simply not engaged on or discussing these issues in any meaningful way at a global level. Um, And so we really need to jumpstart in dramatic ways what the UN does. And uh, the UN is not often the most nimble of institutions. Um, I think this is why we need really an all of the above approach to um, working proactively to address these issues. Um, and you know this includes trying to advance efforts within the UN to have discussions about uh, forthcoming neurotechnology and neuro rights, and working in a wide array of ways to to get different parts of the system to engage in these issues, to start discussing the possibility of of an international treaty that would, that would address the gaps in international law um, and move towards the development of a, you know, of a new agency as Rafa was suggesting uh, to look at these issues, et cetera. But at the same time, we also need to look at what are the national regulatory frameworks in place, especially in the, you know, the top uh, 15, 20 countries that have companies and, government uh, engagement in developing neurotechnologies. we need to look at uh, the company level and look at questions that relate to, you know, neuroethics and what kinds of self-policing can companies be engaged in uh, and what kind of efforts can be undertaken to drive people towards responsible development of these technologies. And we need to look at the citizen level globally and look at public education and awareness raising for people around the world to understand what is coming uh, and to be demanding that uh, in their own countries that companies and policymakers um, focus on uh, both the positive sides of these kinds of technologies, but also act to mitigate the risks associated with these technologies.
0: If you feel that the world lacks global leaders, please help support the Talberg Foundation programs. Individual donations are being accepted at talbergfoundation.org slash donate. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org slash donate.
1: Uh, Rafa, you mentioned before that the United States remains the big kahuna in the neurotechnology world, uh, but is joined there by countries like China, Japan, uh, I imagine a few others. Is it possible to imagine a in addition to the multilateral efforts that you have underway a bilateral US China effort that could uh, in a sense mirroring what happened in 48 could set the stage for something global so yeah uh so
2: honestly alan that uh, question about uh, how to uh, the spearhead bilateral efforts between the US and China is a little bit above my pay level <laughs> at the end of the day I'm a neuroscientist i know a lot about uh, the brain uh, medicine and uh, know something about, uh, ethical and societal consequences of this technology, but, uh, I would not pass myself for a, a policy maven. And, uh, I think the, uh, I, I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a good idea to have a bilateral effort between the U S and China, but I wanted to push back on your, uh, uh your criticisms, uh, that, uh, that a, a multilateral um approach may not work uh well first of all i mean there's a problem coming our way whether we want it or not this, this is going to happen we will have this we'll have to face that problem and we cannot afford not to act so um so not doing uh, something it's it's just not acceptable i mean we're not going to watch this tsunami hit us while we're uh, with our hands in our pockets, at least I want. And there's a lot of precedent besides this uh, discussion that we're having earlier about atomic energy, uh, biological weapons, uh, uh, chemical weapons, uh, with lesser um, threats uh, that are not maybe existential, but there's a lot of good precedent for how a UN-driven international coalition uh, has had a huge impact in, in the world. So let me just give you a couple of examples. And Jared here is, is an expert here, but the Committee on Torture, for example, the UN-driven Committee for the Disappear, um, that has essentially made it extremely rare and difficult for countries anywhere in the world to torture or, uh, or um, disappear their citizens uh, without consequences for their leaders. No, so so these, I think, are, are, are good things. And uh, I can imagine also uh, what's going on with genetic engineering uh, and the uh, CRISPR uh, international coalitions uh, that, including China, are are are, um, are preventing uh, the the use of these technologies in humans. And uh, we also uh, another idea that I wanted to put on the table is that it may not have to. Be only driven by the UN. So let me point out what's going on in Chile. So the the Senate of Chile has on its own taken on this issue of neurotechnology, and they've pushed for the idea of these neural rights. And they've actually unanimously voted to change, amend their constitution to make cerebral integrity a basic human right. So this is, I would say, a serious country. It may not be the uh, one of the countries developing in the forefront of neurotechnology, but this is a country that you should take uh, seriously. And if Chile uh, takes its stance and other countries like Spain could follow, um, with, uh, at some point, it, you could imagine it would be like a domino effect. Now, many countries will jump in and eventually the UN and other countries will essentially have to be uh, um, uh, carried on by the, um, swept by the, uh, this uh, global movement.
1: Uh, Jared, how, how do we take what Rafa just described as sort of the canary in the mine approach, which is you get a couple canaries and they start singing and, and others join in. Do you think that is practical how do you make that work practically? You know,
3: undoubtedly it, it's an uphill struggle because, you know, oftentimes when you see the international, uh, community, uh, you know, being aware of even global crises that are on their doorstep, they still hesitate and can't uh, mobilize the political will to act. But at the same time, uh, failure really is not an option here. And we have to persist um, and do so aggressively and publicly and uh, systematically. Because uh, as Rafa said, you know, these developments are fast approaching. uh, And some of them are in fact already here Um, and, uh, if the international community doesn't take action, the consequences could be uh, could be terrible um you know one of the you know what one of the concerns that I've heard raised is you know well what's the point of having an international system to be put in place when you know the bad actors you know the China and Russias of the world, and frankly even maybe the United States, uh, depending on how it decides to deploy this technology you know could do bad things and I think the reality is that um you know the development of an international uh, treaty for example to advance uh, neural rights uh, isn't designed at the worst of the worst who are going to do whatever they want regardless right it's really looking at that middle uh, gr- you know group of maybe 60 or 70 percent of the world that um, you know if there are international standards set they're going to want to be viewed as um, you know as acting in accordance with them you know and you assume there's probably 10 or 15 percent on one side or the other side that that will you know, undoubtedly want to take positive actions regardless of international standards, and, you know, another 10 or 15% that will do bad things regardless uh, of what standards are put in place. Um, but setting uh, global expectations around how this technology can be both developed and how the di- downside risk can be managed, um, and also creating an international uh, human rights uh, system that will ensure that individual people of the world have uh, the right to protections from misuse of this technology uh, by states uh, and and others uh, is, I think, exceptionally important uh, because it will drive uh, the global discussion and will uh, encourage strongly many people that have not up, uh, up until now or would not up until now focus on this question to simply decide that they will abide by those international standards that have been developed.
1: Well, having a global discussion would be a great place to start and you both have a lot to do with that effort. I'd like to go to the individual, Rafa and Jared, both of you have referred to the role of the citizen, the role of the scientist, the role of the tech company potentially in creating both awareness of this problem and commitment to do something about it. Um, What can the individual do uh, to try to get uh, governments that maybe are a little backward-looking to to engage on this issue.
2: So I'm a firm believer of, uh, uh, of act locally but think globally. Um, so any one of us lives in uh, small communities, and we may have access or not to to larger communities or to uh, policymakers or, or leaders, no? but. Um, i think uh like with with every important cause, I think we should uh take it personally and and walk work with our communities you know uh, and uh the chile uh is a is a wonderful example so for reasons that that could be accidental uh chile uh jumps in. And uh, there's a, a, a local effort in one part of the world. And this could lead to a larger effort. And we've seen that happen before. Actually, I was talking about the Committee for the Disappeared. Uh, my understanding is that it was also driven by uh, starting locally, also in Latin America. And eventually, it went uh, globally through the UN. I have to tell you that uh, Jared and I are actually engaging the UN uh, on this uh, on this debate, on this issue and probably because of what's going on in Chile and other things uh they're going to um, they just called us for a for a discussion uh, uh an internal discussion on the issue uh, so uh the UN is, is is watching carefully what's going on and uh and if you are imagine that you work in a tech company well and you you think this is an important issue so you could imagine uh Building consensus inside the company, again acting locally but thinking globally. The companies should be partners in this. They should—they're not the, the bad guys. They should—they uh, should understand this is also
1: on on, on it's in everyone's interest interest of the community of the humanity. You know? I would imagine, given the importance of the United States in neuroscience and neurotechnologies, that there is no real chance of accomplishing what what we need to accomplish without the united states very specifically and this isn't a podcast about america it's a podcast it's a global podcast but nonetheless this is one of those one of those u.s centric issues how do you develop a real conversation in this country with the senate with the house with politicians at at local levels um, who are probably for want of a better word ignorant of the issues you're talking about um, actually,
2: this one is uh, would be a perfect question for Jared. Um, Jared it's uh, more knowledgeable about uh, the inner workings of the U.S. Uh, uh, as a Washington
1: insider, if uh, I can say that, Jared. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: sure. I think that was a compliment, Jared. I'm not sure.
3: Uh, yeah, I think it was maybe a backhanded compliment. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, look, I mean, I think that um, – There are definitely uh, members of Congress who are uh, very interested in and focused on the development of science and technology, and these will be the natural audiences from which to start. You know, clearly this is not a a party partisan question uh, and should be the kind of question on which consensus can be developed. You know, I think that there are going to be people that will want to try to develop a U.S. regulatory framework that will uh on the one hand uh provide minimal guarantees and protections for the american public um but not uh stifle uh innovation and entrepreneurship and the development of these new technologies and as is the case with all emerging technologies uh this is uh the kind of uh circumstances where getting that balance right will take you know a lot of thought and a lot of hard work you know one of the things that rafa uh, has referred to previously when one thinks about um you know protections that would happen at a national level um you know is in essence analogizing uh information uh being read or written to the human brain uh, as uh, almost akin to organ donation um and uh, as a rough uh comparison I think that that's that's right um, if you know you think about organ donation for example when you get a driver's license in the United States you're asked do you want to be an organ donor and then the forms that you sign are, are pretty onerous um, and making very very clear of exactly you know under what circumstances your uh, uh, you know your organs could be harvested if God forbid you're in a in a serious uh, or fatal uh, well, fatal accident um, and so you know I think that you do need those kinds of protections um, really a lockbox around your brain and the ability of people to read it uh, or to write to it, you know, without your uh, direct and explicit and informed consent. Uh, So I think, um, I think there will be an interest in engaging uh, on these kinds of questions. Uh, You know, the now not so new Obama administration, some six months in, you know, has yet to really focus on these kinds of questions and issues. They're you know, drinking water from the proverbial fire hose on many, many different topics. But undoubtedly, uh, given that much of this emanates from the, uh, the BRAIN initiative uh, that President Obama uh, put in place with the help of people like Rafa and others, uh, I think our hope and expectation is that uh, the Biden White House uh, will also want to engage in these issues, not just the Congress.
1: Let me end by asking a time question. In the nuclear space, we have a um, a doomsday clock that is periodically reset a few seconds to midnight, uh, trying to encourage people to do what they ought to do anyhow in terms of controlling the proliferation of nuclear weapons. When it comes to this space, and Ralph, I guess this is a science question in the first instance, uh, how much time do you think we have to get our arms around this issue in a positive, productive way? Um, Two answers, because as I said before, there's
2: two types of new technology. One uh, that are used to read, to decode mental activity, and one's to write or interfere with mental activity. For the decoding, I think it's uh, pretty urgent. Uh, I think there's already uh, portable brain uh, scanners that uh, are starting to be sold, and they could theoretically be... um, decoded with artificial intelligence for a low-level uh, investigation, an indication of, uh, of people's um, mental state, for example. So we're not going to see reading of thoughts uh, right away, but the beginning of that is, is is about to happen. So I would say for decoding... Uh, the doomsday's clock its I wouldn't say, uh, it's clicking, uh, it's ringing, but it's, I would say within a, a, a couple of years, uh, this will happen for sure. Now for the, uh, the writing part, uh, we have more time, I would say at least a decade or two. And that would be for me, that's, that's the, the really, uh, worrisome, uh, a scenario because what we're talking is about mentally enhancing humans and we're talking about building a new type of species a hybrid human in which part of our brain will be uh, um, devices that would be running uh, artificial intelligence algorithms and connected to huge data databases so um so we, this could be a transformation of humanity you know and uh i I don't think we should be waiting 10 20 years uh, to see that coming but we should start thinking hard today as to what type of human we want to be decide that uh, in a in a in a global worldwide discussion and enshrine that in the universal declaration of human rights which describes as good as any document uh what what is what it means to be human so so I think uh, again um from your doomsday uh clock uh the the real worrisome uh is the one that's coming probably 10 to 20 years from now and that would involve uh, augmenting uh, mentally augmenting humans uh, with neurotechnology and transforming us
1: into a hybrid uh, human machine type of species thank you for that let's stop there because i'm not sure what can be added other than These really are urgent issues that both require citizen engagement, but also, equally importantly, wise government intervention. So again, Rafa Yuste, Jared Genser, thank you very much, both for your work on these issues and for joining us today. Thanks so much.
0: Thank you for joining us. Please rate our show on Apple Podcast and subscribe. Meanwhile, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or you can subscribe to our newsletter at talbergfoundation.org to learn more about our work. That's T-A-L-L-B-E-R-G foundation.org. Thank you, and we'll be back again next week for another episode of Talberg's New Thinking for a New World. This podcast was brought to you through the generous support of SNF, the Stavros Niarchos Foundation